world's on fire, our culture is disintegrating. Hey, pass the salt. It's time. It's time. Hey, you, pass the salt. You know why it's disintegrating? Because we're jellyfish. Hey, pass the salt, will you? Pass the salt. Pass the salt, amigo. It's time. It's time. I think they could give us a new name. I believe we are Evan Jellyfish. Hey, will you pass the salt? Pass the salt. We need salt over here. It's time for Pass the Salt. Pass but we like to share the gospel without any backbone to it, see? The views, opinions, and seemingly outrageous comments expressed in this program are based on the Holy Spirit leading of a man called Coach. i got to ask you this out there, Christian America. It's time for Pass the Salt with a coach, Dave Daubenmeyer. Well, this month's flying by. 7-Eleven, feel like I'm rolling some dice here today. 7-11-2022. Why the, somebody know why those numbers are supposed to be lucky? 7-11. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes, right? That's, no, that's, that's snake eyes. I, I get those snake eyes on that one. So happy 7-11. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Time is, man, it is it's flying by. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on around us. We try to talk about it and analyze it and make sense of not only the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, but the reason why it's going on throughout the uh, throughout the universe what the heck what the heck's going on had a wonderful ladies retreat I was trying to make Michelle get up and talk about it this morning but she said you, you don't need me all the women in there can that were there can talk about it I was going to send you a picture Spencer did you get a picture of it I don't know if I don't know if I did of all the women oh shame on me let me see if I can get one to you real quick and uh, while, while I'm fishing around trying to find that picture Myra why don't you come in here? And pray us all in here, if you could, sweetheart. I will be honored to do so, Coach. It is written, Romans 8, 28 to 33. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. For whom he did, for known he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. That shall be then said to these things, If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but deliver him up for all, for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any things to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Jesus, you're welcome to coach Dave Heidel, and we open our hearts to you. I release the anointing that breaks the evil in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen, Myra. And I got to tell you something. As you're running down through that, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to do a show on that. What what scripture was that, Myra? Coach, it was um, Romans eight twenty-eight to oh, thirty-three. My, I, I'm telling you, I could, I could. I'm going to do a show on that. I just heard from the Lord. I'm going to get that show. Somebody prompt me. Say, hey, Coach, what about that Romans eight twenty-eight? Because all things work together for good. doesn't say everything's good. It says all things are going to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. What's your purpose? 
Do I know what your purpose is? Do I know it's called? What that? Oh, that's, that's deep. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, before I do it, throw that picture up there, Spencer. I just uh, shot to you of all those uh, pretty ladies that showed up at Sky High. Had a great. We had a great event uh, this weekend. Maybe I'll let some of those girls talk about it a little bit. You know. You know. Um, I, now look, some of them aren't there, but that that was I think they took that picture on uh maybe Saturday afternoon. See that pretty one there in the in the black right in the middle? Dad gone, that's a woman for you there. Love my wife. Love my wife. But uh I, I, I was having a conversation with, with Michelle yesterday after after the women's retreat. And I thought uh could we get a men could we get men to do that? And then, then I then I thought it even deeper. I got I got thinking about the condition that the American church is in. The condition of the American church is in men don't hold each other accountable. You go to, you go to a men's meeting at a, at your local church, and somebody will get up there and they'll share a scripture, and there's no intimacy at all, none. Amen. I thought, if, you know, if I were to call them spiritual warfare training, by the way, they're having one in Pennsylvania this weekend. This uh, uh, Pennsylvania bread. Anybody want to chime in about that before I forget? Don't let me don't let me forget it. Spiritual warfare conference, quad straight, quad state, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, PA, with Steve Hemphill. That'll be that is going to be really, really good and really, really powerful. And uh, I come back to the same thing: is the man the head of the house? Did God rightfully give the authority of the home to Adam or to Eve? Well, we believe that in, in uh, the American way of life, anyway, used to be such a thing called as a patriarchy, meaning the man was in charge. The man led the family. And now that because uh, whatever has happened to manhood, and uh, especially Christian manhood, for the most part, it may be the head of their house and that they control the checkbook and they control maybe where they want to eat dinner and maybe they control where they're going to go to vacation. But for the most part, women are the ones that are in control of the, of the family. And that happened because of the usurpation of power from men. The women's movement, whatever. I, I don't want to get too deep in this stuff, but I think it's really, really important. And I, and I, I said to Michelle, golly, if I called a men's, huh? Spiritual Warfare Conference, men only. I wonder how many would come. You don't have to answer. I will, I will. You don't have to do that. It's a, it's a totally, completely different dynamic than dealing with men and dealing with women. And I don't know why that is, but that would be something that would be really worth our time and effort and energy to to understand why it was that the enemy, the devil, did so worked so hard on the emasculation of men. That'd be a great study. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ponder it more. I said, Michelle, I said to Michelle, well, who, you know? Well, she said Tom Dunn would come. Tom Dunn would come and do it. And I said, Yeah, yeah, he would. He would. And Rust is there. Uh, Rust, God rest his soul. Rust was a man. For the for the most part, when we get in here in, in the queue, we start talking about spiritual warfare. We hear from Stephanie, and we hear from Reggie, and we hear from we hear from others. But we don't have very many men that are speaking up on the issue of spiritual warfare. Wonder why they? Anybody have an idea on that? 
This just popped into my brain, by the way, or into my spirit. Why, why, why do you think that is? Why, why is the average American male not intrigued by spiritual warfare? Silver. Coach, the issue of spiritual warfare, as far as a man is concerned, and his prayer life, okay, they have to go hand in hand because if you don't have prayer, you ain't got no weapons, okay? <laughs> and uh, as far as what you were speaking of, as far as the woman having control of the home, a lot of the times it's the woman not releasing control to her husband. Okay, and she refuses to do so because a number of reasons. He's a dummy. You don't know what he's doing kind of thing. Okay, but she has to learn how to respect him for who he is. Okay, and he may be the breadwinner. He comes home dead tired, and all he wants to do is eat and go to bed. Okay, and that's not much of a relationship, and that's his fault. Okay, yes, it is, And, and but as a result of it, uh, it, he is relinquishing control of the family. Okay. He is the one. Joseph, not only that, he's yielded. We have yielded our spiritual authority. Absolutely. It comes back to the same old thing. Bob, Jesus, I knew and Paul knew, but who are you? And so we find, we find out that we, now we have, because men have gone out to earn a living. I think maybe that's what it is. They've left the home to earn a living and bring in stuff and money uh, the home has become the bailiwick of the woman, and the woman is the one that's fighting all this spiritual warfare by default. The father is the one that's supposed to be doing it. The man is the one that's supposed to be doing it. And I've said this a number of times as well, that if I get into a gathering of a, of a group of people, and I say, uh, who, who will, would somebody open in prayer? It's often a woman that volunteers not a man. I'm not going to analyze all this this morning, but we're on to something here, friends. We're on to something. The, the idea of the, of, the, uh, of the man being the head of the house, taking his rightful place as the, as the God-ordained authority. And I hear some of you out there say, oh, yeah, well, I was married to a guy for 17 years, and he wouldn't take any spiritual authority. That's the point I'm making. Is the church encouraging that? Does the church encourage? Let, let me let me weave off. Mark, I'll get right with you. Bobby, let me weave off in here. Myra, uh, folks, can can somebody tell me how any how any self respecting man? Sorry, could allow a doctor to kill his child, and so it's reverberated out throughout the culture. My body, my choice. A woman's decision. Women, 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 women. When's the last time you heard a man stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. That's my kid. That's my child. We don't do that. We don't do that. Because, see, we've bought into the lie as well that it's the mother's baby. Well, I don't know where you guys grew up. It takes two to tango. You don't create no baby without a daddy. And the daddy has to become more than just a sperm donor. But we, oh, okay, yeah, I heard that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pull up number three, Spencer. Pull up number three. Because I, this, 
God, I don't even know how I got on this, although it's the Holy Spirit. So if I'm stepping on your toes, get on some bigger socks. Uh, look, folks, this this came across my desk, and I didn't know what to Woke churches thank God for abortion. I, I, look, I want you to listen to how deeply this has permeated the church, that women say what you want. Men are allowed to go to ball games and choose what beer they're going to drink. But for the most part, women rule. And that's not God's plan. It's just a, a just a couple of minutes. Go ahead and play this. Oh, Lord, how long will women and girls be viewed as second-class citizens? Let us pray. Giver of choice. You have created us in your image and given us agency over our own bodies. We pray for all who partner with those in need of reproductive health care. We pray for the loss of life yet to come from forced childbirth and illegal abortion. We pray for those who are not of the same mind regarding reproductive rights. Oh Lord, how long will women and girls be viewed as second-class citizens? How long before women and girls will be able Three, to minutes. make decisions? Some man should have gone up there and put her in a headlock and drug her off the podium. Anybody say amen? Can somebody say amen? Amen. 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 Absolutely. Amen. Go ahead. For their own health and wellness. Dare I say, if men could get pregnant, this wouldn't even be a topic. All the guys, let's all let's all set appointments to get vasectomies. We are women singing, waiting. We know pain. And while some view abortions as babies being killed, as I once did before praying for a deeper understanding, laws that restrict and take away freedoms are never on the side of Jesus and a God of justice. Because if the precedent is the Constitution doesn't talk about abortion, well, the Constitution also says I'm three-fifths of a human being. It the did. Constitution it also says that. that I don't have a right to vote. And as we continue in this time of gathering and lament, reproductive justice is what we cry out to the God of all for. We will continue to be doing this work of reproductive justice. Reproductive justice is what we seek, is what we pray for, is what we work for. But if I could rock your theological noodle, I submit to you that my Bible teaches me that God is pro-choice also. And some people will say, well, Bishop, you're a man of God. Are you pro-abortion? I am pro-human and civil rights. Old Testament says, I have set before you life and death. Therefore, I'm not going to legislate the answer for you. We live in a country right now where, where, uh, where guns seem to have more rights than women. If you're pro-life, you wouldn't be fighting for 18-year-olds to buy machine guns. This is not just about reproductive rights. This is about voting rights. It's about civil rights. It's about human rights. This, this is just the beginning of a demonic agenda, and the church has to get in the gap. Hey, are, folks. Amen on the demonic agenda. Yeah. I, I, hey, so how do you counter that kind of stuff, folks? See, I, I've said for, for a long time, you can you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You can make it say whatever you want to say. You can justify every sin 
you can find somewhere along the line uh, some scripture that you could twist that'll make sense of just about any position you try to take. And so this is, uh, I got, I got, I've got, i gone somewhere this morning, I, pr- I promise I am, about lies. I want to talk a little bit about lies. Let me, let me, let me grab a couple of you bring in here real quick. I'm going to come back to some of this. Go, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Mark, get ready. I'm going to bring you in. Before I do that, I want you to go to number four, Spence. Number four. Because when I see something like I just saw there, I need something to encourage me. And I came across something else that encouraged me. And it was this. Scroll down just a little bit, just a tad, Spence. Right there, right there. Play that. Play this woman. And uh, I, I listened to this, and I said, yep, 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 yep. Go ahead. serious about it though are we seriously fed up is the church oh i got so much to share with you is the church willing uh see this all permeated this all came from the fact that i know of churches here locally where the pastors didn't even mention roe versus wade being overturned i listened to a sermon from one yesterday and the gobbledygook mush that came out of his mouth. And I said, Lord, how will we ever win with such pussified men? How will we ever win? And the answer is, we're not going to. We won't. Thanks, Joe. We're not, we won't. 
We won't. I got more. I got more. Come on in, Mark. Yeah, they didn't mention Roe versus Wade when it was in place, so that's a different topic, though. Um, that's true. Look, that's uh, true. As far as spiritual warfare goes, I think there's been a stigma attached to it. Rather than delve into the Word and see what God says about spiritual warfare and promote it uh, in man and uh, man as the head of the household spiritually, uh, none of that's been done by at least the churches that I've been around. Um, I, I am intrigued by it, um, and I wish to know more about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the churches, the pastors, they're, they're, they're not teaching it. What do you think it is, Mark? I mean, wait a minute. I don't, I, look, I don't, I don't mean to aim a gun at any. I'm talking in general. See, I said, I said uh, when I listened to this, um, this guy who's, he goes by the name Pastor. When I heard this guy who goes by the name Pastor, Stand in the pulp. Look, look, okay. Here's me. This is what I said. I'm the pastor of the church. You come walking into the church after a week of some controversy. Uh, people have been sending me emails and calling me over the abortion issue. Coach Dave, uh, Pastor Dave, why haven't you spoken on the abortion issue? And the other one, uh, Pastor Dave, thanks for not bringing it up. Thank you, uh, Pastor Dave, for not mixing religion and politics. Both sides of it, hearing both sides of it. So now I got to walk into my pulpit on Sunday morning and I got to try to appease both sides. You know what? Here's, a, here's what the old football coach would have said. I did just, I did just walked in. I said, listen. Uh, let me make something perfectly clear here. Uh, the, the Roe versus Wade decision that was recently overturned, uh, people want to know uh, what my positions are on it and why we didn't more actively celebrate it. Uh, he said, let me put it to you as straight as I can, okay? I found out over the last couple of days during this debate from some email, I'm, I'm playing Pastor Dave, uh, from some emails and phone calls that I've gotten, I've been, I've, I've come to the realization that I have failed you as a pastor. I have failed you. And I want to apologize to all of you today. And I want to tell you this. If you come to this church and you believe abortion is a woman's right to choose, you need to find another church. And, and I have failed miserably. If you can come here every Sunday and sit under my pastorate and believe it's okay to murder a baby, I apologize. You need to find a new home. Now, let me tell you something. That's what I do as a football coach. Because ultimately, the Bible tells us, can two walk together lest they agree? You cannot be in a church and call yourself a Christian and believe in the killing of unborn children. Does anybody disagree with me? Let's have that out right here, right now. If you're going to my a church, a church I'm pastoring, and you're pro-choice, do me a favor. Do both of us a favor. Get the hell out! Amen. Why won't we do that? I, I, I would have done it. Are you looking at me looking in my eyes? I would have done that. Why? Because there can be no compromise on the word of God and what's right and what's wrong. And I keep going back to what my buddy Matt Tice told me a long time ago. The problem is we have, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, there's only two. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind. And the second is like the first. You love your neighbors yourself. So you love the Lord and the things that the Lord loves first and foremost, even if it causes conflict in your church, even if it causes conflict in your home. You love the Lord, and you love the things the Lord loves, and you hate the things the Lord hates. And the Lord hates abortion. And if you love abortion, do us both a favor. Find a new church. <clears throat> Why don't they do that? Why would they do that? How, how can a pastor stand in a church and make people think it's okay to be pro-choice? How can that possibly? Well, I had a conversation yesterday, and here's the way it went. The conversation was this. Well, if the pastor's that bold, uh, there may be some young Christians who are just recently saved, who may not understand it, and they may not come back anymore, and uh, they may not uh, uh, get a deep enough walk with Jesus. I'm, I'm wiping my eyes. I feel like the Three Stooges. What? Because see, the church is not catering to the truth. The church is catering to people. And I'm, I'm not you. I don't want to sit beside, I don't want to go to church and raise my hands, do praise and worship beside somebody who wants to kill babies. It's up. It's up. Come on in, Bobby. Yes, I'm involved in a work environment where spiritual warfare takes place on a daily basis, primarily focused on the men. Sometimes uh, some of the men will come to me as recent as yesterday and another one a while back talking about they're tormented throughout the night with black things that they see and, and uh, suppressing them sitting on their chest. And there's been times I've prayed over them individually, and then they come back and say they haven't experienced anything like that for the following uh, month. Hmm. So, and, and to, to tie this up, just like this past weekend, I led, I'm there by myself. I'm leading 40 men in, in, a, in group discussions two or three times across Saturday and Sunday. And I'm able to get these guys calmed down and, and, and relate and engage with them and tell them things that they've never heard before. The male intimacy that's taken place in that room is phenomenal because I, I can join with them. I can lead them and, and identify with them and get them to say things. So all of that said, the spiritual warfare is acknowledged in this particular work environment by the leadership. It's not hidden. And, 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 and the God-hating liberals need to know that there are certain uh, therapeutic Christian environments out there that's punching you in the face, and you can't do a damn thing about it. Bobby, has you, have, have, Amen. not just Bobby, are there any of you out there that have ever been in a situation, a church, small group, well, I don't care what it is, and somebody other than the pastor, some strong Christian man, Stood up and said, hey, dude, sir, Bobby, Billy, Joey, hey, what? You're dealing with demons. Let's cast those demons out of you. Anybody ever been in, a, in an environment where a man stood up and said that? I never have a, in my whole time. In, never, ever, ever, ever in all the many multiple church environments I've ever, ever, ever. Billy, you're dealing with some demons. You got some demonic influence on you, brother. Never. Not ever from a man. Something deep there. Mark Trump, go ahead. Coach, you ask, how do you counter that? The dads say, never say, that's my child. Well, I got a little bit of a different take on it. I've been working with my son, 
he supported his wife's belief that it's okay to kill babies. So yeah. he's got a different belief, but they're married and they're one. So I'm challenging him on this. And the one proof point that I told him is that if God knew you before you were in the womb, you're not the mamas. You are not the daddies. God knew you before you were in the womb. And then you taught us before the foundations of the earth, men were marked with condemnation by God to lead us astray. Yep, that's right. These are God's people. He knew them before they were born, before they were conceived. God knew them. They're not our babies. And that wow. changed my son. That changed him. Now, I've not been created equal, but that created equal stuff's good, and I wish my head was full of it. But now Amen. I'm stuck learning because the church hasn't ever taught this. And they haven't ever taught it, Mark, especially to men. See, we're, guys, have you guys ever been to a sporting event? Little league, little guys, maybe 10 years old, 12 years old, and see your child do something unbelievable on the field. Hit a home run, made a great play, did something, just something that's really good, and everybody noticed. Did you, ever oh, hear yeah. man, did you ever hear a man stand up and say, that's my wife's boy. That's my wife's boy. Hell no, that's my boy. Right? Why doesn't this apply spiritually? That's my boy. Why can some woman, just because she happens to have a womb, why can she claim ownership of my boy? She couldn't have made that baby without me. And see, that's crept into the church. Women are in control of the church. Pastors are afraid to speak out in the church because they might upset the women. And if you're a man out there and you're married to a woman who is pro-choice, can I ask you something? What the hell is wrong with you? Amen. See, that's why I can't pastor, because I'd empty the church. It's your baby. That's my boy. You going to do what with my boy? Huh? Oh, no, that's a woman's woman's body. Woman's right to choose. Woman's child. Really? First of all, it belongs to the Lord. God's <laughs> doesn't baby. Belong to, doesn't belong to either one of us, right? Come on in, Dale. Booyah, Coach. Man, let me tell you what. We had spiritual warfare and casting out devils all the way till 11 o'clock, even on Saturday night before Saturday, Sunday morning. Pick right back off where we left. Brother, we are not going to be in the majority on this. We're always going to be in the minority. I get that, and I'm totally fine. It, it, I, 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 we talked about this yesterday, brother, the spiritual warfare, and I told him, I said, let me tell you what. This is a Moses and Jamboreus moment. The line has been drawn. Those who are for the Lord come to this side. Those that are not stand over there, brother, because it's about to, it's about to go down. And you use that term, them six-foot icicles, and I think you get that because it's cold up in the north. Well, I've got a new one for down in the south. I call them six-foot cockroaches. And we had one in our bedroom the other night. That was, sucker was so big. And my wife turned the light on, and guess what? That sucker froze, and I just got up. Grabbed the crock, walked over there, and splat. I said, he who kills does not clean. It's up to you now, baby. That, this, 
we have got to get on this thing. And the men in the church, brother, let me tell you what, lead the charge, get in there. And in my congregation, you already know, brother, I've been out on the front line since 1995 on the abortion issue. And I told the congregation when I became pastor, I said, you already know what you got before I entered this pulpit. So you better understand, I ain't changing for you. God's word is absolute on this. I have a calling and this is what I'm going to do. And then and then one more point, brother, you can go back to that show where you had that pastor from Georgia and he was before the city council. And I told you this on your show, you can go back and clip the audio. When people have, I heard, oh, that's not a Christian thing that they would tear down the Georgia Guidestones. Oh yeah, I mentioned this in the church. I said, have you all enjoyed the story of Gideon in the Bible? What is the first <laughs> thing that the Lord commanded Gideon to do? To go down and strike down the Asheroth pole and smash the altar in his father's house. That is what had to take place first. Hey, Amen. Coach, Amen. Yep. I don't care how they came down. They're down. It's time to go to war. Amen. You know, I, Dale, you know what uh, Mike Heath told me one time? Uh, he, my, uh, we're talking about how to train young men to be men. Mike says, you know what we need, Coach? He said, we need you to get an event going at Sky High where dads can bring their young boys, and we go out and we actually shoot animals, kill animals. And, and after we kill the animals, each father and each son has to go take a knife and cut open the chest of that animal they just killed pull out the heart and pull out the guts and pull out the entrails. Play, just pull it all out. Take all the skin off of it and cut it up and then cook it and eat it. So we really understand Amen. life and death and how violent death is and how blessed we are to be able to live and to fight to live. Why it matters. Well, Coach, I've been there with my boys and done that, but I've been no more prouder than when you know I've taken my boys and watched them defend the gospel and rescue those babies being unjustly sentenced to the slaughter mills. Brother, mm -hmm. let me tell you, that's the problem. Take your doggone kids out to the murder mills and defend them. And, of course, oh, well, it's closed now. Well, then good. Go down to the drag queen story hour and unleash those arrows that are supposed to be trained in the hands of the Lord to strike down the enemy. Amen, amen, amen. Myra, come on in, then Rich. Yes, Coach, I just want to praise the Lord for the wonderful retreat, the ladies, the Crushing Serpents uh, retreat for the one coming up in West Virginia and for Dale's spiritual warfare mm. um, weekend. Mm. Um, and I want to read Psalm 92, uh, 1 through 4. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. And to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On as an instrument of ten instruments, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, Myra. Rich, come in. Yeah, Dave, uh, last week, you know, I had mentioned that the Lord had given me a word that after the Supreme Court passed their judgment that it was going to now call out, we were going to see who, what side everybody was on, whether it be the individual states or churches. And your these videos you played has proved that that now we know what churches are what because they're crying out. And, yeah. and 
And the Lord's going to take these churches out, and he's going to take these states out. And, and Chad confirmed it in a text that he had the same word. This, God's going to take these people out now because they, they can't hide from under. They can't hide under the Supreme Court any longer. And say, no. well, that's the law of the land, you know. You know, no. now they got to make that. Now they got to decide what side of the line to be on. I had a, I had a, I had a conversation with Mark Harrington, and uh, Mark said, Mark said the abortion issue has just gone through a ten point swing. I said, "What do you mean, Mark?" He says, "Well, uh, they tried to tell it's fifty fifty on abortion." He said, "It's it's not really fifty 50 He said, "There's a lot of people who think abortion's wrong." but legal. And he said, now that it's no longer legal, those 10% of the people are going to say, well, if it's not legal, then it's wrong. You understand? We don't, we don't, we don't understand how people think. But he said there's already at least a 10-point swing on this issue because people have been trained in the church to do what? Obey the rulers. If doesn't matter. If they legalize murder tomorrow, it's okay because the government said it's okay. Romans 13 lies. Yep, a lot of people are stuck there. Man, I got a lot of stuff I want to get to. Jeff, quickly, then Reggie. Coach, we do them two or three boot camps each year with them young boys. You were just talking about that. We took them out, I think it was last summer, and they had to go out with little teams and see who could kill a squirrel. Hey, one team come back with a squirrel. Pastor Bill pulled out the pocket knife, skinned that thing, got it, got it all ready. They cooked it, and it didn't wasn't much, but every boy got a little bite of that thing when he done. But them boys were so intrigued to watch him skin that. They were all around him watching him do it. It was good. We used to do that. My dad take me squirrel hunting. We go home and we clean them. We'd cut the tail and we put it on our on our uh, radio antenna on the car. Kids, kids today would cringe at the thought of that. Reggie. Yeah, Coach, this weekend was really good. I I, um, I just really want to talk about men. Um, I've been in spiritual warfare um, and deliverance and healing for, oh, my gosh, I keep saying 20 years, but it's like 30-some years. But one of the things that I noticed about men, and there's very few men in it, is the authority. It's it, You have to learn your authority, but women have stripped men of their authority and they don't even know. I walked into a room one time, just it wasn't for spiritual warfare, but there was a girl pinned to the ground and they were a bunch of, you know, Christian men standing there saying our father over her. They have no, they don't even know what authority yeah. is. And and meanwhile, the girl's being tormented mm. on the ground and here I am, a woman walk in and I take authority. It's embarrassing. It is so mm. embarrassing, but I was able to free her, you know, this. And I'm also right, we're right, afraid. Right. To- Listen, Reggie. You're only good at spiritual warfare because you're a victim of it. The average man doesn't get it, right? If men could actually see and understand the war, if men had actually been molested and abused by priests, if men were really taught to stand up and push back, we would see a different man. You are where you are because of what you have been through. Most people have not been through that. And if you hadn't been through it, if you hadn't been through it, you wouldn't be doing it either. That's the point, though. That is what the retreats for these men, they need that because they will face the they are victims because of their lack of authority. They've delved into other sins and they do have strongholds and they're afraid to release those and let them go. So the conversation Michelle and I had and she did not anybody was at the retreat. Michelle did not uh, tell, tell tales on anybody. She didn't. 
But she just went on and on and on about the, the things that women were harboring from previous injuries in their lives. And I said, geez, he cried. What the hell do you think the men are carrying around? And that, that when they were at the retreat, you got to talk to the women. The women got to tell. You got, it was okay for them to say what they had been through and the hurt and the harm and the danger and the attachments, emotional attachments to something that happened to them when they were 16 years old and they can't shake that. They can't understand why they can't shake it. They don't understand it's a spiritual attachment. And men are probably worse. You just learn to grin and bear it. And Michelle just went on and on and on about what women had walked through. She said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe some, what some of these women have been through. And you know what I would say? You wouldn't believe what some of these men have been through. But there's no, a, a Saturday morning men's pancake dinner just don't quite get it done, does it? And that's really, that's really where we are. Keith, come on then, Brett. Yes, sir. And I think women have exchanged marriage to their husbands to the state. Well, we've been trained to, Keith. We've been trained to. And uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't know how. I don't know how we get out. I don't know how we get. I don't know, man. I don't know. Men are having a hard enough time bearing their own burdens. Look, look, hey. We know where we failed. We all do. And if I, hey, if I could go back and relive my life, I'd, I'd do a lot of things differently. I don't get to. And so I see some of the mess-ups in my life. I see with them every day. I see them every day. I have to deal with it. I bury it. I bury it. It becomes a scab that I don't want to pick. I don't want, I don't want to pick it, and I don't want anybody else to pick it. And uh, Michelle didn't, I wasn't going to say this, but Lord, I'm going to because I think you tell me to say this. Uh, I think, I don't know this, just in the spirit I know this, that that women's retreat was just emblematic of literally millions of women who are crying out for strong men. And we'll say that again. The heart of a woman is for a strong man. And uh, there aren't many. Because we don't allow them, train them to be strong, strong in the right way. I don't have the answer. But I see I see the product. Brett. Hey, Coach. I just want to say, number one, Bobby Lee, man, uh, Mark Trump, Dale. Coach, what this team that you've put, there's nobody else doing that. Many of the listeners now know that you and I have the Christian revolution and you're sending me out to build those small teams in all 50 states in 12 months. I got 17 more to go before September 1st. And that's what I see, coach. I see weakness and I see women. There's no men out there across America. People ask me that. And I'll tell you right now, we're going to change. We're going to call an audible coach because you're freaking coming out to Cape Cod this week. We're calling an audible on Friday. We're going to be gathering the men at Mashpee high school, and we're going to pray over the men in Cape Cod. Amen. 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 Well, we got, we got a lot of problems, man. Rochelle. Hey, good morning team. 
coach, this is a, a, a good topic. Um, and so what do they say that um, friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Right. And what you're talking about reminds me of the church in Pergamum. That word Pergamum, it means thoroughly married. So this was a place where Satan knew he, he was not going to be able to defeat the church with a regular frontal assault. So he revised his strategy. He moves in. He fosters this friendly accommodation from within. And now there, he's got deadly success in the church because where we are welcoming and affirming of these of this immorality, it compromises our morality. So it will continue to destroy our witness and invite the judgment of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen, Michelle. So let me let me throw this on the table here real quickly, okay? Pull up number two for me. It's a standalone email from Steve Dace. I sent this to some of you yesterday, but it's appropriate here. You can throw it up on the screen for me there, Spence. <clears throat> this is from Steve Dace. He's a radio talk show host. Not that one. No, no. Back the other one. That one. The biggest problem in the church today is that it is intentionally all too often non-confrontational. Intentionally non-confrontational. This is why you're so biblically ignorant as a culture. Too many churches that claim to still be faithful to the word present, contextualize, apply it intentionally in a non-confrontational way. Therefore, many of the unsaved have not actually seen what we believe actually lived out. We don't live much differently from them, from the unsaved. Non-confrontationalism is the biggest heresy in the church today because it inhibits most of the churches that still preach the traditional doctrines of sin, repentance, the Trinity, etc., By self-imposing non-confrontationalism, by self-imposing it, we do it to ourselves, we have emasculated the faith, rendered it defenseless against the spirit of the age, and thus done the same to the faithful. That doesn't mean confrontation has to always be aggressive. Confrontation is not a method, but a motive. The Christ child we adore in the manger is confronting a sinful world, just as the fully ascended Christ on a white horse with a sword in his mouth and a robe dipped in blood. Both the baby Jesus and the conquering Christ are confronting the world. Do you see that, friends? But we've been taught that confrontation is inherently bad. We've made love an image, and I'm, I'm sorry, we've made love an idol in our image. As in love is what will be the most non-threatening and least offensive way that I can present the gospel to not risk anything on my end. Let me say that again. Let me read that again. We've been taught confrontation is inherently bad, and we've made love the main focus of our evangelism. That's what he's saying. As in, love is, how can I most present this without hurting somebody's feelings? 
That's love. See, that's what, that's what they taught us love is. That's the gospel. Present the truth, but don't offend anybody. This is why we wait on political saviors instead of publicly taking a stand ourselves. Because we can be the silent majority and go and vote privately for our candidate without ever having to defend it. What's good? The Bible is a book of confrontation. God is a God of confrontation. Christ becomes our Lord and Savior through confrontation. Rest assured, hell has never practiced the doctrine of non-confrontationalism, and it never will. And it will continue surrounding us in this culture until we learn to embrace confrontation again. That'd be a mic drop, Vinny. That would be a boom. That would be a go along to get along. Who are you to judge? Tolerance, diversity. Boom. Consensus. Yep. Uh, Can I tell you something? I don't know if you've picked up on it yet. I'm contentious. (laughs) I'm contentious. Huh? Aren't we supposed to contend for the truth? Earnestly contend for the truth? I'm contentious. People don't like it. Some don't. Sometimes I say, I'm see how many enemies I can make today. Julie, come on in. Good morning. This is a great topic, Coach. Thanks. Thanks. What you were saying about women crying out for the men to take their rightful place, it just dawned on me, like, why is there so many divorces? Just a thought. Well, the, the reason it is, I just heard from Stephanie, it's so true. Uh, men have been horribly abused. Men have been horribly abused. Why? They're afraid that it's something they say or do is going to make them look weak. Right? It's the truth. So they stuff it inside. They cover it over. And they act tough. And they yell, MFR at the football game. Go, you MFR! They look like they're men. But they're not really men because they. Oh, listen, Stephanie said this. I got to share this too. Stephanie says, broken mothers create scared and scarred little boys. Wow. Broken mothers create scared and scarred little boys by planting in them the false truths of what a woman is and the unhealthy spirit of familiarity cord to them, mama's boys. Yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy. Come on in, Mark. Yeah, well, there was a time when I would have believed that uh, love is what you described it as, but as I, I've gotten into the word and letting it let it get into me, I understand that true love changes things because true love includes discipline. We all need to be refined. And so if that kind of love was being preached in the church, then you would see a different result. Um, but people would have to listen to pastors that preach just like you gave the example of. I'd go to a church like that. 
but there's a lot of people that would go away from that and it hits pastors in the pocketbook. So, yeah. you know, what are they going to do? Um, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but, uh, people have to be strong enough to allow God to change them, um, to, to, to accept that part of God's love in their lives. Okay. So pastors, if you're listening to me out there, and even if you're not listening to me out there, pastoring is coaching. Pastoring is coaching. And for too long, again, pastor is head coach. I'm head coach. All right? Coach Dave was head coach of the London Red Raiders. Pick whatever team. And I had assistant coaches. I had Coach Norm, Coach C, Coach Byer, Coach uh, Gibson. I, I could run down the litany of the assistant coaches that I had. And my job was to teach my assistant coaches to coach their team, their, their, their group, linemen, running backs, defensive, whatever it was. Coach Kyer, you don't coach the linemen. You coach the quarterbacks and the running backs. That's, those, that's who you're responsible for. Now, coach them the best that you can. And they would go do it. And a good football team is set up that way. I'm going somewhere. Hang on. But in the American church, the pastor doesn't coach the father, who will then coach the family. The pastor coaches the family. It doesn't work, folks. It doesn't work. That's why when you walk into the church, the, the, the teaching in the church is so generalized and say, listen, we're going to just go, we're going to go on a series on the Romans. And they just go down on a series of Romans. Hey, folks, listen, the job of the head coach, the pastor, is to train the men to train his own family. That's the job. And the church is not designed and set up to train men. It's, trained, it's set up to minister to the family. Take all the assistant coaches out of the out of the uh, out of the picture and ultimately the team fails because the head coach did not do a good job of delegating responsibility you see my pastor whoever my I'm, I'm sorry i have several pastor friends i need something i can call i can dale socia if dale socia was my pastor if tom gill's my pastor uh they're not responsible for my family i am and if my, man, if my family's out of line, it isn't my wife's fault. It's not my kid's fault. And it isn't the pastor's fault. It's my fault. But that chain of command is broken. Chain, I can't tell you the number of times I'd walk into a church and hear a sermon, and I'm thinking, God, when's this over? Because it had nothing to do. Oh, it was good. It had nothing to do with where I was. I don't know how we break it. Church is run by women. Why is it run by women? Because the pastors minister to the family rather than to the assistant coaches. Silver, come on in. First Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men 
in destruction and perdition. Wow, drowning men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Joseph, they pierced themselves through, didn't they? Yes. We are responsible for ourselves and others, but ourselves first. Mm -hmm. We got to get our act together. Who are we to tell somebody how to do something when our act is just gone? Amen. Amen. Folks, you know why men turn to pornography? I understand women look at pornography. I I would never believe that they do. I I don't know why. I I mean, I don't know why I didn't realize women looked at pornography. I I just didn't. But you know why men look look at pornography? Uh, Because the woman on the screen or the woman in the magazine doesn't argue with them. And Amen. The man, and, and the man looking at the picture can fantasize in his own mind how he's desirable and and a person to be honored. Look, I've got this beautiful woman. I've got this beautiful woman. I'm having my way with sexually, and it's gratifying, and she's not arguing with me, and I don't have to live up to anything. It, pornography fills an emotional need. I, I tell, I, I've, I've explained this to my wife many times. I explain it to you, folks. Listen, men look at pornography not because they don't love their wives. Men, men, men aren't, men aren't committing adultery by looking at pornography. They are in a way, but that's not why they're looking at it. They don't love that person on the screen. That person is nameless and faceless. Just a naked body. And men fulfill a physical need by looking at pornography and hopes to fill an emotional need. That's as clear as I can make it. And I would tell my wife, I believe men look at pornography who absolutely adore their wives. It's not a love thing. It's an emotional thing to think that that beautiful woman with those great big knockers, probably, sorry, is interested in me. It's a real emotional power burst. Pornography, masturbation, is the most self-consuming thing you can do. It is all about you. It's filling an emotional need, not a sexual one. Men just want to be men. And it's hard. The whole, the whole society is telling them not to be one. The wives are bossy. Bossy, you know. Can I, hey, we marry our mothers, don't we? You know what they say? You marry your mom? You look for the same kind of woman. I got a girl just like the girl who married dear old dad. So if you have a bossy mom, you probably marry a bossy woman. Probably probably do. Uh, I don't want to get into psychology here. 
Rochelle and Jessica got a couple minutes left. Hey coach. Um, I just wanted to talk about when you brought up the compromise, basically, I think that compromise is probably one of Satan's favorite weapons. And because really here's why it, it occurs slowly. So you, you don't even notice the change and it always lowers the original standards that you, you once held in your heart as important. And it, does not seem offensive because it's perceived as loving, but always it is eventually going to lead you to accept what you once acted and even thought maybe was repulsive at, at one point in your life. So what one generation tolerates, you've heard that saying, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will accept. And it's just been a slippery slope from one generation to the next when it comes to church compromise. Amen. I don't know the antidote except for Jesus. He does give us some remedies, but. And men men standing up and speaking the truth. Jessica, real quickly, go ahead. Thanks, Coach. I just wanted to say that if a man thinks he's looking at pornography to fulfill a need, then he believes a lie. Because that is not a need that needs to be filled by that that source. That's right. But, But the point I'm making, Jessica, is it's an emotional need. It's not a physical need. It's not. It may be an lie. emotional lacking that drives him to it, but he believes a lie if he thinks that that is going to fulfill that need. And love is an action. Love is sacrifice. Love is everything that Jesus did. It's not. It's not saying you love your wife and then turning to something else instead of in being cowardly about it instead of facing your problems and being willing to work them out with her. Can't do it alone. A man can't do it alone. I just Amen. Tell wow. Didn't mean to have a, a, a psychiatry session here today. But, folks, our problems are deep. Take captive every thought. That's where we've got to be in. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.